Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Consider This. This is about communion number two, when should someone not take communion, um, is kind of what we're talking about today. And uh, we're going to kick it off here with Ryan and Justin and myself, Morgan, by talking about, do you think it should be wine or grape juice at the table? So that's kind of fun. So stick around. Before we begin really diving in, I am interested to know, because at staff retreat, we have a staff retreat twice a year, and we take communion together. We happen to take it with wine. <clears throat> take communion with wine. Sinners. I know. Uh, so I thought it'd be fun to start with. Well, Justin really thought around a charcoal with. fire this year. Actually, oh, it oh, felt wow. very like the end of John. The guys were having a blast. Okay, <laughs> um, wine or no wine with uh, wine or grape juice. What what do you prefer? Or what um, do you think? To steal an illustration from a great friend of mine, <laughs> taking, I'll allow it. <laughs> taking what we usually do, which makes total sense based on our context, by the way. So, I, I it is a way. It feels special when we can tear apart one loaf of unleavened bread and share one cup of, you know, vintage blood of Jesus wine. That, that see, like it, there's something different to that, Pro- probably because we also just don't do that ever. Yeah, we also, know? to be frank, we also shared a lot of the same cup. That's true. Uh, shared this, that same cup. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's kind of like taking communion with a goldfish when you take the little wafer that we use, or drinking grape juice instead of wine feels like that a same like a little, juice box. Yeah, it's like here's your juice box and goldfish version. It's like this is fine if you don't have any other option. This is fine. But I'd prefer to do the one loaf, one cup, uh, unleavened bread, wine. I, that would be my preference. It doesn't make sense to do that at Sunnybrook because we have too many people, right? Yeah. It costs just, a lot of money. It costs a lot of money, too. <laughs> There's a lot of reasons. Actually, one of the reasons they started doing this, outside of like the temperance movement and movements that said out, any alcohol is sin, it's bad to get drunk, so therefore you shouldn't even look at alcohol or think about it or you'll be a sinner. Um it, it did come down to like logistics. There's too many people here for us to do this with one cup. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, they started realizing, oh, germs are a thing. We should probably not give each other yeah. disease. So, But originally, wasn't it with alcohol, germs was also the part of the reason they, they well, used alcohol? They didn't alcohol. know about germs. It, well, it's you, you don't get a whole lot of stories in the scriptures of people just sipping on their Nalgene bottle full of water because water wasn't potable. So alcohol had an antiseptic quality to it that didn't make you get sick, right? Paul tells Timothy, hey, you sickly little thing, take a little wine, mm-hmm. you know? So tell your, you had what a cool you, story about... Before that, I want to know, wine or, wine or juice, oh, yeah, Ryan? Yeah. Um, I don't think it matters as much as I used to. I used to be very, like, it should be wine, because that's what Jesus did. You used to have a strong opinion? No. No, I've never had a strong opinion. <laughs> I've only had inflexible, perfectly <laughs> thought out opinions. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> um... But, you know, even talking with, with Steve before we started recording, he, he was talking about in COVID, he and Patty, um, whenever they were taking communion at home, they would just pour a little, you know, glass of wine. And he said, it, for some reason, it felt more special. And the, the question becomes, why? And I think it's because it feels like a, one, it feels like an adult drink, but it feels like a celebratory drink. Wine does, more so than grape juice. Um, 
left to my own devices, I would never drink grape juice ever for any reason. I'm not. A, I don't <laughs> like orange juice. Is about the only juice that I would even consider. And You're not just, a sweet guy. No, I'm not. In both tongue and spirit. Exactly. So I'd rather <laughs> oh, have. You've grown in sweet. I'd in rather spirit. have like a big Zinfandel or Merlot. Anyway. When when you, when Jesus is reconstituting the Passover meal, the Passover meal had wine as a foretaste of the great wedding banquet with the Lord. It's a it's a celebratory drink. You get this in John two when Jesus turns water into wine. So I, I I was telling Steve if if we were to like keep the symbolism of like a celebratory wedding drink, our communion cup might actually be more accurate to be champagne or something that we mm. use at weddings today, and because mm. that's the symbolism they were using. Now. Jesus is also like red wine is a really like good illustration for this is my blood, mm-hmm. right? So there's even color to it. That makes sense. Which is why we go grape juice. It's like we we're like this is this is pre wine, so it's safe wine. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's got the right color and it's technically from the same fruit, so that's why we do it the way that we do. But in the end, the, the symbolism matters to me more so than the actual mm-hmm. what the liquid itself mm-hmm. is. Yeah. That's, I think that's where I am. I don't like to taste a grape juice. I don't like to taste a wine. People give me a hard time because I'm, they've mentioned this before. There was an eye roll there for you who didn't see it. Yeah. There was an eye roll. You know, to, you know, is Morgan legalistic? <laughs> uh, but. <laughs> is Morgan, no. did Morgan used to be legalistic? Yeah, I think probably I think so. you've grown in that. Yeah, I think I I've seen this. He's spirit. grown to being sweet. I've grown to not being so legalistic. I've just grown in size. <laughs> that's it my joke for years has been I, I get tired of people like claiming to be a legalist i just tell them i've never met a legalist morgan weiss is the closest thing i've ever <laughs> yeah, met she tried but it's impossible to it's do impossible. we all have our areas where we let things slide i honestly just don't like the taste of either of either of them we took when we took communion at staff retreat i was like this doesn't taste good in my mouth. This burns in my throat, and it's now I have this warm sensation in my chest. So that's well, the spirit. Well, in the Passover <laughs> meal, there were certain elements that weren't supposed to taste good. The bitter herbs, right? And there, there were things that were kind of meant to do a little bit yeah. of that. Like it, it's maybe it's a good thing to remember that Jesus had his blood spilled, and this is didn't feel good. Maybe you shouldn't taste yeah. good. Maybe. Gar- grape juice is sugary. Tell your story. That was a yeah. cool story you were telling us. And I haven't, I haven't heard it. Okay. So coconut water. Yes. Or something. So um, there's there's a church plant. Well, so missionaries a long time ago, I don't know who, go to this Pacific island uh, called Vanuatu, and a good friend of mine here at Sunnybrook had some uh, some close friends that they were Americans. They were there serving as long term missionaries over this church in Vanuatu. And um, so that meant that the church had American financial support going for this this island nation. Well, it became exceedingly expensive to continue importing grape juice for communion. So the church kind of sat down and thought it through. And one of the things that they have uh, ready access to in Vanuatu is coconuts. So they started to take communion with either coconut water or coconut milk. I don't quite recall. And that's how they were celebrating the Lord's Supper. Wind came back to certain supporting churches in the United States, and they became so incensed that they were not using grape juice that um, they they eventually pulled all their financial support for this church over that issue. And... You know, again, speaking with my friend that, that attends Sunnybrook here, he was just so heartbroken over 
what he felt was a misunderstanding of the meaning of the meal, a misunderstanding of, um, you know, the, 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 the specific elements, it has to be grape juice. And, and he just thought, wow, these, these American churches have done such a disservice to the fellowship that we experience in the gospel by misapplying or misunderstanding what the, what the, uh, the meal should be, what, or what should specifically be in the cup. And even frustrated, like, okay, Jesus didn't have grape juice anyway, so why are we dying on this hill to the point that mm-hmm. we're going to now pull a considerable amount of financial support from the church? And I just, I was kind of bowled over by that. It, it reminds me of COVID. I remember, I think we were listening to some podcasts on, like, are we just supposed to take a hiatus from communion? Like, since we can't be together, the Catholics, you know, they believe, like, the church has to administer it. Mm-hmm. But we were also kind of thrown into this, like, are, are we good with just people kind of on their own doing this? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it was a question that was worth asking. Um, and we ended up saying, yeah, we, we do think during this short amount of time where we're not able to be physically together, let's spiritually participate at this table. You know, you think about it. As much as we think, you know, at Sunnybrook together, we're joined to take the Lord's Supper together. We also have two services, so those two groups didn't take it together. We also believe that the church global, we're unified with them in a mysterious and beautiful way when we take it, and we're not with them in the room. And so that's kind of where we landed, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, no, it's okay for the Eberts at their house and the Weeses at their house and the Vincents at their house to separately be unified through this beautiful thing. It's interesting. It's interesting because you don't want it to just... It's like, I get it that it could be anything, but there is something still significant that's happening. So you don't just want to water it down to being nothing. It can't be everything. And it's just interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, I, again, the symbolism matters a lot to me yeah. and I, and I, I feel like it's, it would, it would merit a number of podcasts. So I, we've, I, we've actually had a podcast on symbolism before, but it's something that I think we undervalue a lot of times. Um, symbolism. Symbolism. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's based on those convictions of mine, I don't think I could personally um, really get into, well, let's just use Cheez-Its and Mountain Dew. Right. Zane Sutherland. Um, which he did. Zane. He we love you, Zane. We love Zane. Um, but I remember even having that conversation and he kind of thought it was, he thought it was a, a fun thing to, to just play around with what are the elements and more power to you. I, I, yeah, I've, I've kind of fallen on the side of, I'd, I'd like the drink to look like blood. I'd like it to be some sort of celebratory drink that folds in the imagery of a wedding feast, a wedding banquet with the Lord. Um, the unleavened bread harkens back to the Passover, the original Exodus, and God's delivering his people from bondage the first time. And now we're celebrating him delivering us from bondage again in a greater, more permanent way. So for me, the symbolism is like I can think all those things. I, it also gives me an opportunity to, to describe those things to like my kids. And in a sense, I'm t- I'm putting on my my yarmulke, so to speak, and being the Jewish father, who's telling the story of God's deliverance to his family. It helps if the drink is red, and a celebratory one, and that the bread is torn off of a single loaf, like one body that was given for us. Yeah, I we I we didn't miss church a whole lot growing up. Maybe I'm legalistic because we emphasized all these things so much. You know that to vary from them feels wrong. But we didn't miss church, and the very few occasions, like I'm talking maybe once a year, maybe twice a year, 
probably not twice a year. I mean, we really didn't miss. Even if we were sick, we would just come and we were expected to just kind well, of Well, even traveling, your family would find a church wherever you were to go to, right? Yeah, I remember Or your driving. dad was probably related to the pastor. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I remember driving home and my parents, we had church service in the car. Mm. We had gone to visit family for like Christmas or something. And we had communion in the car and we did use just kind of what we had which is definitely not sacred things. I think it was like a cap full of Dr. Pepper and <laughs> Pringle or something. In the something. Weiss household, Dr. Pepper sacred. is a sacred element. <laughs> yeah, so true. that's okay. That's a that's celebratory That will be at your wedding banquet. But maybe. So. So, but I do think it, we weren't, He in that moment, it wasn't lessening the symbolism. It was more of like, we don't miss gathering with the body. Yeah. And this is actually a really big deal that we're not with the body today. And so we need to, we need to figure out how to celebrate yeah, the importance of the symbolism for you yeah. guys in that moment was not missing the meal. Yeah, and not missing what, what we do on this day. We set we set aside time, and you know, it was it was sad that we weren't with with our with the family yeah. of God. It and wasn't so much you guys weren't emphasizing Jesus' command to do this. You were emphasizing the in remembrance. So like we 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 gather in remembrance, even yeah. if it's over a little bit of. Dr. I think Pepper. they made one of us like lead worship, quote unquote, and one of us preach a little sermon. I'm I'm pretty sure we had a whole church service in the car. Driving home. Did you lead worship? Titus I probably. I don't didn't. remember. I don't remember. I really don't. I just, <laughs> it's just interesting, you know, to think through that kind of stuff. So we also talked about in the last podcast, we, we kind of went into, you know, children's church and how sometimes pe- lots of people will come and take communion and maybe, maybe shouldn't. Um, and then we ended with kind of a question of are you allowed to refuse it? And kind of the consensus was we don't really understand why you would want to. Um, just openly, like, just decide not to. Like, do you have to take it if it's presented to you? We don't really know why you wouldn't want to. But we also think there is a time that you should not take communion. So I would kind of like to talk through, because, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians, the end of 10 and the and into 11, has to mean something. Paul, you know, Paul's clearly saying there are times that this is wrong. So then what are those times? When should someone not take communion yeah. as a believer? When sure. should you not take so it? So we talked about our, you know, we, we do believe it's, you know, baptized people are people who should take it. There may be an occasion where a pious, a holy, believing in God, an immersed person may take it. We're not going to run up and smack it out of their hands. Um, but we, <laughs> yes, uh, we do believe that there's a few circumstances where it's inappropriate outside of that. I think it's very few. It is. You know, think about um, the process of being excommunicated. So that's the end of church discipline. That's that's not church discipline generally. It's not, oh, Morgan is, is living sinfully and two people had to go talk to her. Morgan had to go talk to the elders. That's, that's the church discipline process. But you haven't been excommunicated. To be excommunicated is functionally for the leadership of this church to say, by our discernment and by what we feel the Spirit is leading us to do, we are now going to treat you as an unbeliever because you're acting as an unbeliever. So at that point, I would say, as an unbeliever, this meal is not for you. This is a meal for followers of Jesus. And if you have uh, shipwrecked your faith or you are living in brazen, unrepentant sin, that is not the lifestyle of a follower of Jesus. Therefore, this meal is at this time not for you. So... There have been times where someone has has come to the point of being excommunicated, and yet they still had family, children that attended this church, and they asked, can I still come? 
And the an- the answers from, that the elders gave was, yes, we think you need to hear the gospel, maybe more than anybody else in the room, because you're living as an unbeliever. But don't take communion. Just let, at that point, let the tray pass. You know, that was back when we still would serve it. So that phrase, I think, is the key, the unrepentant sin. So we, we talked a lot about part of the purpose of communion. What we do in communion is remembrance and reflection and repentance. That's, that's one aspect of it. And so, yeah, I mean, it is an opportunity to be like, oh, Lord, I've, I've sinned against you. Have mercy upon me. And that's, that's good. That's a good thing to do when you come to the table. Um, that, that is far different than somebody who is in obstinance, willful, unrepentant rejection of God, God's commands, and God's people. Does that make sense? So e- even when Jesus says, we mentioned this last time, even when Jesus says, hey, if you remember that you, somebody has something against you, stop what you're doing and go make it right. You know, th- there's something to that. And I think, you know, that could apply to the yeah. communion table. Like, hey, if you, if you realize you're living in division, how dare you try to act like you're unified at this table? Yeah. So, so stop what you're doing. Go make it right. I, I think that that's good. So if you're wi- living in division amongst God's people, go make it right. Or if you're willing, living in willful, open rejection against God. And some people can be like, well, any sin is willful, open rejection against God. No, you repenting and confessing that sin shows that that's not the same thing. Yeah. It's what, the difference of what First John talks about. First John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, what does that assume? That we've sinned. Mm-hmm. And God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But then he talks about those who walk in darkness, continue to walk in darkness. So there's a difference between continuing to just willfully reject the commands of God and somebody who stumbles and falls and sins. Does that make sense? So the one who stumbles and falls and sins recognizes it, confesses it. And, yeah. and you get to share with us at the Lord's table, the one who's walking in darkness, the one who's willfully rejecting um, God and his commands. You don't get to because you're living as an unbeliever. unbeliever. Yeah. So. And so like for First Corinthians 11, if that's the particular passage that's being quoted, uh, it could be helpful, I think, to maybe take communion out of the crosshairs for a second and just look at something else. Say Steve Broadway. So worship pastor here at Sunnybrook. Say you hear him out and about. He's at coffee shops or he's at wherever. And you just hear him talking about how terrible God is. God is the worst. I can't stand him. Blah, 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 blah. And then you come into church and you see him up there and he starts leading us in. God is so good. It's like, wait, which is it? You're an inconsistent person. You're, in fact, that's the, like the, the boilerplate definition of you're a hypocrite. So in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is looking at people who are being like they're, they're fracturing the unity of the church and then they're having the gall to sit down and have a unifying meal. It's hubris of the highest order. And so what he's calling out in 1 Corinthians 11 is their hypocrisy when it comes to the unity of the body. And so that's not what a lot of people want to use that text for, where they want to use it as like an introspective, you know, I sinned once this week. That's really not what that has to do with. But if you are living in unrepentant sin, as Justin said, that's another reason to consider. I feel like most people that are living in unrepentant, blatant sin, I don't care, would not heed this warning anyways. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You know? You're right. So just kind of, you know. Well, yeah. Also, that's why Paul had to write it. He had to come in as an authority figure and say, you're done. Like he had to impose the sanction from 
from a position of an, an apostle. So if we if we detected a First Corinthians eleven problem, that's probably become like an eldership issue. Mm-hmm. Like they're now going to um, sanction you and and fence the table is kind of the the term that a lot of traditions will use. They'll fence the table and say you don't actually get to cross this fence. So if there is a person, if there's somebody who really does feel this that there is some blatant unrepentant sin that needs to be dealt with and you choose to let the cup pass so you choose to not take communion then i would say then the then the appropriate next step to that is that you need to we need to then address and go work that out mm-hmm. you don't it's not a you know and then you leave sad and you never address it yeah that's not then helpful. why are you coming yeah, why are you participating in any of this? It needs to be, so then you leave and, you, you know, we need to study, we need to pray, we need to go talk to another Christian about this. Yep. Um, preferably someone that maybe is further along in their faith that can help you sort through what this looks like to repent of it. So if the if if your response is, I'm just, I'm going to let this pass, I really feel like, you know, I really, as I'm examining myself, there really is things I'm not, I'm not repentant of, you know, and I am okay. Um, but if you leave it there, then that's a much bigger problem mm-hmm. than letting it pass and then dealing with it. Mm-hmm. So if this is something that you, that is a common practice for you, I would say you're either not reading this correctly, First Corinthians 11, or you are like, there's a bigger issue at hand. One or the other is happening. Is that what you would say? Yes, I think. I think that a lot of it boils down to that we don't value the meal like we do a sermon. Like if someone said, "I come to church every single week, but for those thirty-five minutes that Jim's up there preaching, I leave the room because it's, I'm just not fit to listen." Like I think everyone would look around and be like, "Okay, I think you're a little crazy." Actually, you might need to sit down and listen. At some point, I want to say you might need to sit down and eat and drink. Like we have, by just the virtue of how our worship services have changed in terms of time allotted to certain components, we've taken two things, um, ministry of the word and ministry of the sacrament. So the, the ministry that comes from reading scripture aloud publicly and then exhorting brothers and sisters from those scriptures, preaching, and then the ministry of serving the cup and the bread and the sacraments baptism you can add into that but you have word and sacrament and over time protestantism in particular has elevated word to the place of privilege and i don't even know that that's necessarily wrong but the the amount of of time and emphasis is certainly disproportionate so you know if you if you say i i just i'm not going to take the the meal it's probably in part because you don't see its value like you do the teaching that comes through a sermon. And I would just challenge you to think of it more highly than you do. And I think, Morgan, what you're getting at, the second piece of it is, you know, maybe a a misunderstanding of some scriptures. Mm -hmm. So yes, 1 Corinthians 11 is particularly talking about a church who was gathering around for a meal, gorging themselves, getting drunk off wine, and at some level excluding people who who weren't able to bring, you know, a, a portion to be able to participate in that. And so they were literally causing division 
and sinning during a meal which was meant to bring unity and reflect on the faithfulness of God and our commitment to follow him in holiness through that. So that, that is that, I think, self-examination that's particularly addressed by Paul. Make sure you're not using something that is meant for unity as an opportunity for division and make sure you're not being sinful in a thing that is meant to remind you of God's dealing with your sins. So that that's that particular one. And then it's the... <clears throat> Um, it's what we, we, we teach of like this process of salvation where we, we were justified in the past and Christ has already dealt with every sin that's ever taken place in the past, taken place today and taken place in the future on the cross. And then also you were justified at the point you put your faith in him and you're in the process of being saved through sanctification and you're going to be saved through glorification. It's that understanding too that yes, you will sin, even though you've put your faith in Jesus, already been baptized. The, the difference is your willingness to take that to the Lord in confession. So I think it's all of the things that we've mentioned. Yeah, and I think, too, regardless of which way you land on this issue, um, whether it's, man, I, I feel like I'm examining myself in every, I, I just see myself as just a sinner, and so I shouldn't take this, and that's clearly not what Scripture teaches. Um in this passage or in other passages, like you mentioned, First John one nine, um, but I, or or it's the it's the other, I don't know. It, it, whichever way you view this issue of communion and whether or not you should take it, I just one of the things I just want to remind all of us is just we come to scripture, we seek to understand, and then we submit to then we submit to it to the best of our ability. So. We are always, our, our mind can be changed by the word of God. And so if we are stuck, if it becomes that we are just stuck in a pattern and stuck in a way and nothing that anybody says or any scripture speaks to will change our mind, there's another issue at hand. Um, and it's pride and it's hard-heartedness. And so we, we got to deal with that, you know. So even just listening to this podcast, if you're listening to this podcast because you're really trying to figure out what should I do, then... That, that's our, you're already in a good position you know if you're listening to this podcast and it's like I want to know how I can disagree hey you're already kind of the odds are already kind of against you you know so I think your your per your heart Jim's been talking about this a lot in staff meetings um, humility is a huge part of faith and is a huge part of growth in our trust and worship of the Lord and so I, I really think that plays into it um, in this issue of communion I don't know so, okay, you guys have anything else to add on that? No. Okay, I, I had the couple of questions that Justin quickly kind of answered at the end, and I had to tell him to stop. Um, does taking it every week make it less special? Um, some people take it every week. Some people do not. Um, and then when did it switch? We, we kind of touched on this at the beginning with wine and grape juice, but when did it switch? You had, I think I said you said 18-something. Um, I can't remember what you said, but you said it in the last one. Um and why? No, it doesn't make it less special. Next question. Yeah. yeah why do you do that? I we, don't. We stop. pray every for this. week. I do I, it for this right here. The reaction. So we mad. pray every week. We sing every week. We preach every week. We give every week. We say hello to our good friends every week. And none of those things are less special because we do them all the time. I'll give you some more examples. Correct. Wait. Can I? Can I? Can I ask you a question? Why do some people not do it every week? Why do some churches choose not to? Because I don't think they value the meal. I don't think they value it. And they would and say, it's, to be and, fair, they would say they, they would value say, it more than us. Right. Yes, they would. Right. But that's not true. Um, 
doesn't have to be true. It's, it's, a, it's a practical thing. So um, my wife grew up in, in a tradition that does it more quarterly. Um, and in some cases, she was a part of extremely large churches, and it was just a, a practical budgetary concern. And so if you took what we spend on – now, it, what's great is we, we have a grape juice budget and a cup budget, and we have some, uh, some wonderful ladies at the church that, that make the bread. And so we're not spending millions of dollars on this every year, but it's not an insignificant thing either. We are like, – it's kind of like you, show me what you spend your money on, and I'll tell you what you value. And for us, if we suddenly said we have to cut the communion budget, I will f- start flipping tables over <laughs> I believe that. I believe that too. <laughs> I will fight you. <laughs> oh, that's good. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say it doesn't make it less special for a lot of those same reasons. You used very biblical examples. I'll give some just life examples. Uh, I'm not going to share the first one I thought of. The second one I thought of is like when, after you get married, you know, if I looked at Debbie and said, I told you I loved you on our wedding day, why do you need me to keep telling you that? Yeah. She would slap me. And then she would get away. a step stool and then slappy. <laughs> <laughs> She's very small. Um, she would not like that. And I would be shamed for that. Rightfully yeah. so. Uh, think about you. Let's, let's talk about meals. If a family comes to me and says, yeah, we're just not feeling very close with our family right now. One of the things I'm going to ask them is like, how much time do you spend together? Well, the kids leave you know, seven or eight for school. Dad's already gone. They're gone from back from club and sports at like five or six. And then we all kind of do our own thing, go to bed. How often do you share a meal together? Well, we really don't. Okay. You probably need to build into your habit of at least once a week, sharing a meal together for the unity of your family. Mm -hmm. That's a prescription. I mean, we all kind of get that. The other thing I would say is when the leadership of your church, who God has called and appointed, have said, as we look at the scriptures, this is what we believe we are going to do, and that is taking communion every week. And you say, I don't agree with that. That is a great opportunity for you to find a different church. Either submit to the leadership of your church that is submitting to the scriptures, or find another church. It is better for you to leave than for us to change. There are other churches out there that do it once a quarter, that do it once a year or whatever. And that's fine. We're not saying you're not a believer if you leave our church. We really aren't. There's great churches in Stillwater, not named Sunnybrook. Mm-hmm. But our churches and our elders have decided we will do it every week. And therefore, if you want to be a member here, you shall do it every week. Okay. Any other questions you guys have or any other things you guys want to talk about? Well, in terms of so, Justin mentioned last at the in the last episode the uh, eighteen eighty nine, I think it was. So that was that was particularly in our movement. So in, like in our, um, we're not a part oh, of. Oh, when they switched from wine to grape juice. Yes, yes, yes. So that's 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 particular to that. But one of the things that I um, I discovered getting ready for the previous episode was it was only like the second century before there were churches like there was a wide variety of ways to take it. Um, there were some churches that would have been in like an ascetic community that, so like a very severe, um, disciplined community that just took water because that was part of, that was their diet. Their diet was water and then very simple foods. So Hmm. their meal was unleavened bread and water. I never knew that. There were people that because they were a part of poor communities, they would take whatever wine they had and they would water it down to make it go farther. 
which, by the way, is what a lot of people think Jesus was doing. It's not what he was doing. There's no biblical evidence that that's what he's doing. But early on in the history of the church, there were impoverished communities that needed to cut cheap water into not-so-cheap wine to just have more for more people. Um, and then we, we had the coconut milk example. Um, you said in our movement. Will you explain why that happened in our movement? Do you know? Justin? Uh, yeah, it was from this thing called the temperance movement in which people were looking at different things and deciding uh, alcohol is directly related to things like drunkenness and alcoholism. Mm -hmm. And so why would we mess with it? We don't need it. So why would we mess with it? It's not wise. And beyond that, the the more (laughs) extreme example would be like, it's poison. It is poison for your body. Mm -hmm. So there's the, we don't need it, so let's just avoid it because it can lead to drunkenness and alcoholism, which I can understand that. And then the extreme version of like, it's poison, you shouldn't look at it, smell it, touch yeah. it, think about it. And so it was just a lot of that, people coming to different conclusions and convictions based on the knowledge that they had and yeah. a, a large group of people pushing it. There's And then there were people that kind of wrote about it and gave it weight. So it's like, yeah. I, I say 1889, but it's not like once he inked that word, this is poison and how dare the church put poison yeah. in their bodies. There were people way before that, but it was just, it's dug in, in in that in that year kind of made an official stance for the Christian churches, Churches of Christ, which many began to follow. Yeah, and there's even like a practical sense where, you know, I've 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 had um, because of like school stuff, I've had opportunities to to worship in uh, denominations or congregations that do use one cup and they do use wine. Um, and I asked one of the priests there, um, I said, so what do you do? Surely you guys are overseeing congregations that have recovering alcoholics in them. So what do you do for them? He said, we have, we have like a special cup where we're not, we're not going to be a source of temptation or, you know, for someone who has a chemical dependence on alcohol to, to even have a sip could be very dangerous. Um, he said, we have, we have uh, basically, I think it's actually water. I don't think it's like we have Welch's over here and we have, you know, whatever wine over here. So I thought that was interesting just from like a practical pastoral perspective that they it's not just wine at all costs and tough luck if that's a bad thing for you. Mm -hmm. If for some reason that would be dangerous to your physical health, they have options. And I thought that was pretty cool. Charitable stance is, I think, really good here. Having a charitable disposition toward these things and but still being willing to do the hard work of thinking through it and changing our convictions if we see that in the scriptures. Love it. That's all I got. Do you guys have anything else you want to add? Take communion take on Sunday. It, take it. Take <laughs> Please it. Please take Unless it. Unless you're in re- willing rebellion. Um, yeah, to come talk to us. Believer. Come talk yeah. to us. And if you're struggling with this, like Morgan said, Please come talk to us. If we, we're not trying to drop this podcast and say, and therefore we have decided on this issue. Uh, we, we want this to be the beginning of a conversation that maybe you've been having in your head for a long time and you really struggle with. And we would like to be part of that conversation with you because we love you. You know, this, you know the, uh, the story of the lady who, I can't even remember how it goes. It's something along the lines of, the way she cooks some sort of a bird in her oven and she puts it in a certain pan. And they said, why do you do that? She said, I don't know. My mom, that's just how you're supposed to do it. They said, well, how do you know you're supposed to do it? That's just what my mom did. And the mom, yep. And the mom's like, yeah, I don't know. It's just the way that I, we just didn't have a pan that was big enough or something along those lines. 
it ended up not being like significant at all. I think a lot of people, these ideas are passed down because uh, parents and grandparents and, and people have said, well, this, cause this is how you do it. And it's just good to think yeah. through, well, what was the reason why? You know, yeah. So. As with all things, we need to consider the traditions that have been handed down as being important, but they have to submit to the scriptures. Yeah. The scriptures get the last word. Yeah. That's it. That's all we got. Amen. <laughs>